Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Welcome everyone. We're glad to have you back for another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. Today's topic for discussion is fall gardening. And joining us today over the phone this morning is our vegetable specialist, Dr. Kiki Fontenot. So how are you, Kiki? I'm great, Kylie. I'm, I'm excited you called me on this rainy day. It's a perfect day to film, or not to film, but to record a podcast. I know. It instead is. of being in the garden. I tell you, you can't do anything outside right now anyway. So, Mm-mm. well, we're glad Mm-mm. to have you back. And uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, so now that it's October, uh, what can we plant now when we're talking about fall gardening? Well, Kylie, there's a lot we can still plant right now. The fall, a lot of people think they forget about the fall garden, right? We Mm -hmm. get excited about tomatoes. We get excited about cucumbers, bell peppers. And it seems to me a lot of people just quit over the winter and the fall time. And this is actually one of our easier times to plant a vegetable garden. We have a little bit less insect pressure, a little bit less disease pressure. And so I think the fall garden actually makes for a really nice time. And, um, when we're talking about fall gardening for vegetables, <clears throat> you know, that season really starts in late August, but it extends all the way through, you know, early November. Mm-hmm. So there's still a little bit of time. I mean, we're looking at trick-or-treating soon, <laughs> but if you go buy that, you know, candy at Walmart, and then you get <laughs> in the garden real quick, you have time. So, um, so yeah, right now, uh, things that you can just directly seed into the garden. So this is just, you know, pulling up your rows or if you have raised beds, just loosening the soil, right, and pulling Mm -hmm. out any weeds and just making a nice, uh, smooth, clean area. You could see things like beets, um, your collard greens, your mustard greens, carrots, uh, leaf lettuce. We would want to, you wouldn't want to direct seed, say, like a head of romaine, okay, or a head of butter heads, uh, buttercrisp heads, or butternut heads. You just want to go ahead and get in like your leaf lettuces. Um, so those are going to be like your your lettuce mixes you're going to see. And it's going to be a bunch of various colors across the seed packet, and they're not going to look like single head or a rosette. Um, radishes, turnips, and even spinach right now. Mm-hmm. All of that can go straight into the garden. And when you're seeding those, Kylie, you want to be very careful that you don't seed them too deep. And that's one of the things that a lot of gardeners get disappointed. They like, I understand, like, the the want to go out and buy, like, maybe say, like, mustard greens as, like, little seedlings or in a six-pack because you know they're going to come up. And I think really the the problem, because people get disappointed. They plant it. They wait that seven to ten days for germination. And they're like, why is it not coming up? And it's probably they did nothing wrong more than just seed it too deep Mm -hmm. and so when you're when you're looking at these seeds like mustard seeds and beet seeds are a little bit bigger radishes are a little bit bigger but they're tiny Mm -hmm. they're really really tiny and so you know the general rule of thumb is about two times as deep as that seed is wide well even when you look at and i'm sure we've made this mistake in our own vegetable planting guide you know we say things like oh i just planted a quarter inch deep but really, if you go with your fingertip or the back of your shovel and you dig like a little trench or make a little line down that garden, sprinkle the seeds in, then cover them back up, we have a tendency of getting them way more than a quarter inch deep, right? Right. And so I always tell people, 
sprinkle it on top, the seeds, and then tickle them in the soil or just water them in. And that'll push them deep enough in the soil that they'll be fine. And you can always come back with the back of your shovel or the back of like a hoe Mm -hmm. and just kind of tamp that soil firm Mm -hmm. just so that that seed has made good seed to soil contact. You don't want a big air pocket around the seed. So just kind of pressing it or using the the palm of your hand if you're in a raised bed just to kind of press that soil you know on top of those seeds but but digging those little trenches is often not the best because you get real poor germination just because yeah. they, they push too deep down what about like because i know i have one just you know working at the research station i've collected one those you know those little single row little push planters i can't remember what they're called yes i uh, well there's all different um there's all different uh brands of those but earthway is probably one of the more uh popular ones Uh on the back of that earthway seedling cedar you got to be real careful to adjust the plow that goes behind it so it goes anywhere from a quarter inch down to about an inch inch and a half on Mm -hmm. those things and it's just a simple um bolt that you loosen you can do with your fingers they don't even make it where you need a tool and then just raise it up to the lowest lowest level Mm -hmm. you know and so if you have a really big garden yeah i'd go with that but just make sure it's set at you know an eighth or a quarter of an inch (laughs) no more than that you know just so you get really good germination yeah and what about thinning because I know when we we've done test plots together before we've had to thin out carrots and stuff like that Mm -hmm. How, how important is that Thinning's really important depending on the crop, you know, that you're trying to grow. So as far as like lettuces and spinach, I don't really thin those out too much. I kind of just let them come up and pluck some of the leaves I want out of there and then let the other leaves kind of fill in their space, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, I don't get out there with a ruler or anything, right. but like you mentioned carrots, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. thinning is important for carrots because if you don't, you'll get these really long twisted carrots, mm-hmm. you know, where they're kind of growing around one another. And so there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, some people are going to get out there with scissors and just cut the tops off. Some people are going to pull them, you know, as soon as they pop up out of the ground and those little seedlings are, you know, half an inch tall, I think it's easier personally just to wait until they maybe get three, four inches tall and then go through and pull some of the carrots out so that they're about an inch apart. Um, And, you know, you're going to be pulling out two or three at a time. And if it's not quite an inch, it's half inch or two inch gap here. I wouldn't go try sticking those carrots back into the soil. (laughs) Let it be. None none of this gardening has to be perfect, right? We just got to make a little bit of space for the carrots. Thank God. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. It's not like baking, you know, if you're a quarter cup too much, you're okay. But, um, but some, some of the commercial growers I work with, um, I like their idea of thinning, especially when it comes to carrots, they'll go in and, um, let the carrots even get a little bit bigger. Like they might let those tops get five or six inches tall Mm -hmm. and then they'll start thinning. And what they're doing is they're pulling out these really slender, tiny baby carrots and they can bunch those up and either sell them or just eat them themselves. Right. But then Mm -hmm. you have almost an edible root at that point. Right. And then the rest of the carrots that are left in the ground, those wide up and they become those half inch you know wide six seven inch long carrots right because then they have a little bit more space to continue growing Mm -hmm. so you can do it either way you know just as long as you do thin out because if you don't and you have a real nice thick stand you're just going to come out with a bunch of jumbled twisted carrots okay well what about oh yeah go ahead Okay. Oh, and then like, you know, your, your crops, like your, um, beets, your turnips, you know, those crops, 
it just depends on how you want to eat them, Kylie, because some people just grow those for the tops and they just like to, you know, cook down the green parts. Some people are growing them for the greens and the roots. And then when you're talking about growing like beets and turnips for roots, if you look in our planting guides, we always suggest, you know, four or five inches apart when you're thinning them out. But that's to allow you to get you know, a regular size, kind of like a jumbo beet or a jumbo turnip, right? That's about four inches in diameter. Uh But a lot of new cooks and the way people are starting to prepare foods now is by pulling them smaller. So if you look at a lot of recipes or just kind of go to some fancy restaurants, they're looking at pulling beets and pulling turnips when they're maybe, you know, an inch, inch and a half in diameter, right? They have a real tender taste. They're not as strong flavored, but they have, they're really good and you can roast them whole in the oven or, you know, dice them up and cook them that way. So it depends on how you want to eat them. If you want a big, large beet or a smaller beet, how you would thin them. Smaller beets, you know, you would just thin them a little bit uh, closer together, right? So you'd have maybe two, three inches in between. Larger beets, four or five inches in between. Same mm-hmm. with turnips. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about fertilizing. Um, you okay. know, when we talk about, we're, you know, got your fall crops out there. What a what a, what needs to be fertilized? I guess. Well, all of these crops, you know, are going to need a good bit of fertilizer, mm-hmm. right? They they <clears throat> are heavy feeders. Vegetables are their annuals. So we're not talking about slow-release fertilizers. We're looking at, you know, they're going to complete their entire life cycle, you know, this season. So you don't want to put out like a real long eight, nine month slow release fertilizer because that crop's not going to even get to use all of that. So I always like starting out with like a triple 13 or a triple eight. If any of the listeners today are not into synthetic fertilizers, you know, they're more um, organic leaning with fertilizers, Mm -hmm. then, you know, make sure you have good amounts of compost in that garden, uh, blood mills, um, fish emulsions, things like that, right? Just to kind of get that, the nutrients in there. So, uh, manures, Kylie, I'm a little skeptical. I I love manures. If you're putting them in and you're not doing a quick crop, right? So if you're, if first off, if you're ever going to use a manure, I think it it needs to be well aged. Okay. okay? Cause we just have too many, um, E. coli, listeria, salmonella issues, that kind of thing, right? With manures. Um, especially if they're not well aged and you're pulling out a carrot, you don't get it washed good. It obviously came in contact with that manure, right? Mm-hmm. So we gotta we gotta be careful, especially for people who are pregnant. You know, you'll have to be on a little bit stricter diet and watch those kind of things. Uh-huh. Um, if you have any family members on chemotherapy, um, just anybody with a compromised immune system, those are the vulnerable people in the population who really have to be careful about that kind of stuff, right? If you're young, strong, even if you get a little dose of, you know bad manure on your, <laughs> your food. you might have a stomach ache for a few days but you're gonna survive but uh-huh. it's the it's the immune compromised people so when we're talking about manures i love them i do but they have to be well aged and kylie i don't know if i've ever worked a case with you before or not but i have with other county agents where people put fresh manure into their gardens and then all of a sudden their plants come up real distorted and you know um there's a lot of uh, herbicides that are used yep. on pastures. And if cows or horses or whoever are grazing, 
working on those. Those <clears throat> herbicides are out there to kill the broadleaf weeds and mm-hmm. to let the grasses grow up for the animals. And so some of those herbicides have a long, res- or a long, I guess, I don't know what you would call it, like shelf life, right? They just stay yeah. mm-hmm. in contact with the soil and they're active for a long time. And we've seen where people have put fresh manures into their garden and then they get symptoms looking somewhere to like 2,4-D damage in their vegetable crops because vegetable crops are mostly broadleaf, right? Right. That was actually a question of the day uh, uh, on one of our earlier podcasts back earlier in the summer. So, yeah, that that happens a lot, actually. It does. It does. And so that's another reason that, you know, if you have somebody who has horses, cows, goats, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. just put that stuff on the side of the garden and let it sit there. Treat it like your your laissez-faire compost pile for a while. You know, just let it rot a little bit more and a little bit more. Good six months, then maybe get it into the garden, you Mm -hmm. know, and then till it in. So, um, but yeah, so you want to get some, that, what I'm talking about right now is like pre-plant fertilizers. That's fertilizer you put in the ground before you even seed or put your little seedlings in. And we usually do that. We always say put it in about a week before you plant. Mm -hmm. And really the reason why we're doing that is for a lot of the um, granular fertilizers, they start to break down in that first day or two in the soil and it can be kind of hot or as they're sort of dissolving, if your seeds are right on top of it or your roots come right in contact with it, they can burn them up. So we like to get a rain on it or we like you to turn on, you know, like your sprinkler system for a little bit just let it dissolve wait about a week and plant mm-hmm. that's ideal now i know all kinds of people and myself included we've cheated the system we've <laughs> fertilized and gone in that same day because we're trying to beat a rainy weekend right yeah. <laughs> you just want to get it in and for the most case everything usually comes out fine mm-hmm. you know as long as you're not too heavy-handed yeah. so yeah i think um, we're all then, guilty of that <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah and then after that all of these kind all of these fall crops, right? They're leafy greens, right? Mm-hmm. Mustard greens, turnips, carrots, it's just leafy matter. So most of the time what we're doing is we're waiting till, uh, till those crops come up. If you've direct seeded them and they're at least three, four, five inches tall, we'll go in and we put down a side dress application. So at this point, we're just looking at a little bit of nitrogen. So maybe something like calcium nitrate, ammonium sulfate, um, things like that, right? And you put it down about four or five inches away from the plants, water it in, and they keep growing. And then we come in another two to three weeks later and repeat that application again. Now, like in a small raised bed garden, I'm talking about, you know, teaspoons, every other plant, like if it's broccoli or cauliflower, right? You know, Mm -hmm. um, say you have like a, just trying to give like a general recommendation here. Say you have like a hundred row foot, you have a big garden, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a hundred foot row. And even if it's mixed, like part beets, part carrots, part radish or whatever, then I'd go in with probably... Calcium nitrate is about 15% nitrogen. Um, ammonium sulf- uh, sulfate, I think that's like 15, 16, 20%, something like that. I'd go in with about a cup of that fertilizer and sprinkle it evenly down the row, just a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you do that twice. Now, say like right now, you can still plant broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, the bigger crops, right? Mm-hmm. But it's too late to do those by seed right now. So you'd want to go down to a nursery, the hardware store, the feed store, pick you up a couple of six packs and get those into the garden as transplants right now. Mm-hmm. So those we're going to side dress or put that second just nitrogen application of fertilizer out two to three weeks after you plant those. And again, two to three weeks after that. Okay. There's no real magic number. If it's four weeks after your first application, who cares? Just stick it out. It'll help. <laughs> well, it, let's talk about some citrus crops or maybe fruit trees. Um, what, sure, sure. What do you want to talk about about that? Well, 
citrus are a popular crop here in Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. I know mostly they grow down in South Louisiana. I'm in St. Gabriel right now looking at my neighbor's huge uh, grapefruit tree because I'm standing in my carport talking to you. And, uh, <laughs> and we grow them in the ground down here. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem. But, you know, when you start getting into Central and Northeast Louisiana, Northwest Louisiana, you really want to make sure that you have a way to protect those trees if there's going to be a hard freeze. Yeah. So I know a lot of people that I've encountered up there come across like master gardener talks or just home guard talks they always grow their pot their citrus in containers so that's you know something totally doable you know if you live in central and north louisiana you can put your citrus trees in in big pots right they're they're going to still need a really good root system so kylie i would think a pot that or a container needs to be at least two feet wide by two feet tall mm-hmm. just to kind of give you some dimensions right mm-hmm. something that's pretty substantial but when we start talking about filling that up with potting soil and putting in a tree and then it starts growing roots they get really heavy yeah and so what i see is a lot of people end up still losing their citrus just because they're putting it way out on the patio or in the yard somewhere where it gets lots of sun and then they're like oh it's just too heavy and i couldn't move it you know in time for the freeze and i've seen people moving their their citrus trees with dollies you know across the yard (laughs) and trying to get up to protected areas or even now a lot of hardware stores, a lot of plant nurseries will sell these little uh, plant stands on wheels. Mm-hmm. And I really like those. I mean, if I don't, if my husband's gone, you know, I'm like, oh, how am I going to move this thing across the patio? So I've even purchased a couple of those just to slide under there mm-hmm. and move that pot closer, you know, to the house to get it protected or into the carport. Or even if you have like, um, a lot of people don't have greenhouses or anything, but you know, if you had like a shed that you could move it into, if you know that those temperatures are going to dip down below 32 and they're going to stay there for you know a few to more hours Mm -hmm. i would go ahead and get that that tree protected and how fast would you want to get them back outside after after, you know is there a time of year or is it need to go i mean do we need to get it in the sunlight after the temperature rises or I would if you could. And and the reason, like, if you had a lot of, like, say a lot of windows in your shed and it got pretty good light or in your carport area, you know, it's not completely open and just air is blowing through, right? Somewhere where it's actually protected, but you mm-hmm. still got a good bit of light, mm-hmm. you know? You might leave it in there for a week, but if it's completely dark, right, like a typical shed, like our shed's just an old tin building, you know, with nothing, like no windows, no skylights, no nothing. Well, then I'd probably pull it in there for the night, but within a day or two, I'd get it back out because you don't want it to start losing energy because it has no sunlight, you know to produce photosynthesis and things. Mm-hmm. So I just a couple of days max just to get it back out. Even if you drag it out for the daytime and then put it back in for night. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why those, those plant stands with the, with the wheels come in handy for that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot of love you got to give to citrus trees when you <laughs> live in areas that are just a little too north. For yeah. I've, I've tried the lemon <laughs> tree and stuff like that and I've given uh-huh. up on them, but you know, I still, yeah, well, I'll you, still if you're try. like me or you, I mean, we subscribe to a lot of these, you know, Martha Stewart living, oh, you yeah. know, Southern living, better homes and gardens. Oh, you yeah. see those variegated lemon trees in the pods, so beautiful. Or the, you know, the kumquats and you're like, yeah, I gotta have that. I gotta mm-hmm. have that. But <laughs> then you gotta maintain it too. Yeah. So yeah, it's a full time so, yeah. job during the winter. So it is, it is, but there are a lot of other trees that produce fruit, you know, that are great for the entire state of Louisiana. Um, 
we're not known for growing apples here. We're not, you know, known really as like major pear country here, but we can do it. And, um, you know, you just got to, you, you, the fall is the best time to plant these trees. So I'd go ahead if you're thinking about getting an apple or a pear, ordering it, you know, out of a catalog or going down again to the nursery store. Mm-hmm. Shoot, I've even seen, um, they sell uh, all kinds of fruit trees here at like um, produce stands, and they'll sell them at um, Walmart sometimes, Lowe's, and because yep. they're just kind of everywhere. The thing though is, I want people when they're buying um, fruit trees to look at the tags and do a little research. Just because it's at the local nursery or at the local Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, doesn't mean it's actually suited for here. So. For instance, we get a lot of people who want to plant like Granny Smith Granny apple Smith, trees, right? That's a popular one, yep. Yeah, they taste good. You use them in your pies, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But they require a lot of chill hours. So <clears throat> some of these fruit crops, in order for the buds to come out, so like they're going to produce leaves every year no matter what. On a lot of fruit trees, there's leaf buds and then there's flower buds, okay? And the flower buds are only going to break open once they've received a certain number of cold chill hours. So when we're talking about chill hours, we're talking just in general terms, hours, you know, of time when the temperature is less than 45 degrees Fahrenheit, okay? Okay. And so some of these trees require... 200 chill hours. Those are good for New Orleans, Baton Rouge, right? Um, Some of them require 400, 600. Those would probably be suited for you guys, Mm -hmm. you know, even maybe upwards of 800 hours may be suited for you guys. But once you start getting into chill hours of like 1,100, 1,200, 1,300, we don't often get that here in Louisiana. And so what's going to happen is you're going to have this big, beautiful apple or pear tree just growing and growing and growing, but you'll never get fruit. And that's disappointing, right? Because you would have planted any other shade tree or any other tree (laughs) in that spot, maybe for some other attribute that you wanted. So that's where you got to be careful. So if you look at the tags or if you go online and you're ordering these trees, look at the recommended chill hours. And that's going to help you determine what kind of tree you should, like which variety you should Mm -hmm. pick. Mm -hmm. And you may know better than I do, but isn't isn't Carrie up in Monroe doing some, some variety testing with apples? Yes, he is. And he would be an excellent person to have on this podcast to talk about (laughs) apple varieties and selections because not only is he looking at just some of the new hybrid varieties, he's looking at some of the heirloom types, you know, and and things good for making cider or fresh eating and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm going to let him... uh, you know, tell you all about apples in detail. So <laughs> well, he's for sure. a North Carolina he's, he's boy. He's an apple expert. Yeah. Yeah. He's an <laughs> apple expert. But like Kylie, you know, whether it's apples or pears, and we can kind of like dodge off vegetables here for a second and fruit trees, but mm-hmm. the fall is a great time to transplant um, any, you know, big trees and shrubs and things like that, or just to move them from one part of your yard to the other. So if you're looking at a shrub that's gotten a little too big and it's blocking, you know, the window and you want to be able to see out, now's the time Mm -hmm. to go out there, dig it up and move it, you know, because it's just going to have a lot less stress now versus, you know, deep into the winter or in the spring when you never know if we're going to get, you know, an early summer and certainly not during the summer. So now's a, a nice time to to dig up shrubs and move them from one point to the yard to the other, if that's something that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what about strawberries? I know a lot of people try to dabble with that a little bit in this area. What can you talk yes. about that? Yeah, let's get back on onto the edibles because that's, <laughs> that's the area we like. Um, 
Strawberries are definitely planted this time of year. All our commercial growers have been planting late September, all through October, you know, so you can probably easily find these bundled up um, in nurseries um, and hardware stores. They're usually selling them like bundles of 25 plants or so. Mm-hmm. And Kylie, even if you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's me, my husband, and a baby on the way, 25 plants is not too many, I can promise you, <laughs> because when you plant strawberries, uh, you got to share with the squirrels and the birds and everybody else. So <laughs> the more plants, the better. Um, so the plants are going to come in as bare roots, which means they are there's no soil around them at all. So their roots are all exposed. Usually the tops may have one or two green leaves. Um, some look really healthy. Some have nothing on top, and that's fine. But when you look at them, the crown or the little kind of like bundle of green plants. Have you ever grown like um ornamental grasses kylie yeah i have one at my house okay some of my you know, like how, yes yes you know how like they have like the crown that little like yep growth point at the top of right above the soil right mm-hmm. where you cut it back in the winter and all the stuff grows back out mm-hmm. strawberries kind of same thing okay they're going to come with one crown well the goal when you're planting strawberries is to keep that crown above the soil a lot of people bury it completely and when you do that the whole plant dies so you want to make sure the roots are not exposed but the crown that little kind of inch okay. kind of thickened growing point is right above the soil Okay, and spread the roots out in the hole. If you kind of swerve them all over like a J, they just have a hard time growing out of that. So it's okay to trim the roots. If the roots are really long and you can't dig a hole that deep, you can trim them. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And um, the first week you plant strawberries, keep them really moist. So it sounds crazy, but I would water them before I went to work and after I came home every day, just for the first week, just to let them set, you know, into the soil and really get a good start. And then after that, you can go to just once a day on like a drip hose and you're not trying to flood out the area. You're just trying to keep it constantly moist. Okay. So not saturated, but just, you don't want them drying out. Okay. That's why I like drip hoses or drip tape and, and just set on a timer, even if it's just for like, you know, for a drip hose, oh, maybe five minutes a day, right? You know, okay. if it's drip tape and it comes out even slower, maybe 15, 20 minutes a day, and then you increase it as the plant gets bigger. Mm-hmm. But your goal is to take that one crown and by the end of the season, so like late May, to have five or six crowns off that same plant. So as it's growing and developing, that's what you're kind of looking for. And <clears throat> when you're growing strawberries, they're, they're, you know, great to grow in the fall, throughout the winter, early spring. They don't need to be protected from freezing temperatures as far as the plants are concerned. The plants are hardy, you know, down to the teens, so it can get really cold and freeze, and your plants are going to be fine. But if they're blooming, those blooms are only hardy to 32 degrees. So you see what I'm saying? Like, if we're going to get a freeze, it's going to kill the bloom, not the plant. Okay. And so a lot of people are like, eh. I don't care. I'm not going to cover them. I'll just lose my first few sets of strawberries and then I'll just harvest strawberries later in the season. And that's perfectly fine. But those first sets of strawberries are what we call the king berries. They're the really big, huge strawberries. And I don't like to lose those. Those (laughs) are the juicy, big, you know, kind of award-winning ones that people put their Facebook pictures of like that big strawberry Uh in their palm of their hand, you know? So what I usually do is anytime the forecast is set to go below 40 degrees Fahrenheit, then we start covering our strawberries because you never know when it's going to dip lower 
more than that. So it's kind of like a general rule that most strawberry growers follow. Mm-hmm. 40 degrees or below, cover the plants. Now, Kylie, unlike the citrus tree, right, where I'm telling you to kind of get it back in and out, mm-hmm. when we're talking about covering strawberries in the home garden, a lot of people will mulch the strawberries with pine straw, right? Mm-hmm. And then when they're covering them, they just take extra pine straw and they fluff it up over the tops of the plants to give them a little bit of cold protection. And then... A lot of commercial growers or, you know, my favorite is just the weather protection cloth. So it's this lightweight white cloth that you get at the hardware store mm-hmm. and you just roll it out over the strawberries. All right. And you'll like in a small garden, we've used things like kids toys, like dump trucks, bricks, random cinder blocks, oh, whatever yeah. we have <laughs> to go around it just to hold it down in place. Um, and like big buddies, they use sandbags to hold it down in place. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you roll this this lightweight cloth out over, and you can leave that cloth on for two, three weeks, no problem, because the sunlight can penetrate and get through that cloth. That's not a problem. So, in fact, when you're covering strawberries, like if it's starting like every night, it's below 40, below 40, below 40, it's better, actually, if you cover your strawberries and you leave them covered day and night, day and night, because the heat builds up underneath there and gets trapped, okay, okay? helping those strawberries grow. But if you're under covering and covering and uncovering covering you don't get the real benefits of that blanket over those crops so and they're going to be fine the one problem we usually see when we start leaving strawberries covered for a couple of weeks is that you might get some spider mite damage in there and that's just because of all the beneficials and the other predatory insects aren't able to get under there right Mm -hmm. so if you need to pull it back you might want to spray your um, crop with like a horticulture oil or horticulture soap both are organic. They're not toxic to you or any, you know, anything else. Yeah. It just kind of smothers those small-bodied insects. So I would just watch for that. And you'll know if you get some mites because, like, the leaves will start getting, like, this bronzed color to them yeah. where they're feeding. You can see it. And then, you know, county agents like you and Dennis and RL, y'all can uh, identify that for people, right? Just snap a picture and email it to you and, Absolutely. and they're good to go. Do it every so, day. <laughs> but, but yeah, strawberries, Kylie, heavy, heavy feeders. Okay. Put, you know, build your organic matter up, um, put a good bit of fertilizer down. Like if I were to plant a hundred foot row of strawberries, I'd probably go with, oh, let me think here. <sighs> I'd probably go with like five to six pounds of triple 13 down that hundred foot row oh, wow, okay. easily okay. just you know because they're they're going to be heavy heavy feeders okay. and then once they start blooming i always start side dressing so i'll pump like you know stuff like miracle grow calcium nitrate anything with about that 15 percent nitrogen okay. too and i might give them a week dose and just follow the directions on the label it'll tell you per so many thousand or hundred square feet you know yeah. what the rate is depending on what fertilizer you're using because they are going to need it especially once they start blooming but really strawberries they you know your biggest your biggest predators your biggest pest issues i guess i would say would be slugs and snails they're you know a real beast and if you start seeing those pull that pine straw mulch back you know because they love to live under that mulch um they have products like slego it's an iron phosphate bait don't put it right next to the strawberries but put it in the row middles where you walk and put it out at night and that'll you know bait them out there and they'll eat that and die um and then uh, birds, squirrels, that's, yeah. you know, spider mites. Are your, yep. <laughs> those are the ones that they love it just as much as you do. And I know there's been several county agents I've worked with before 
in the past and several of them are retired now but they used to tell me that they would just take their pine straw and kind of cover up some of the red berries that weren't all the way red yet just so like the animals couldn't see them but they knew where they were so, <laughs> that's a good idea actually try to cut them. and i like planting them um you know if you don't have like a big huge garden space to dedicate to strawberries doesn't mean you can't just go grab a few plants and put them in a hanging basket right because you can always that. throw that's pretty yeah it's really pretty so it's another great crop yeah well um key i think that's all the time we have for today and we appreciate you coming and talking to us about gardening and sharing all that wonderful information you, you've given us a lot of homework to think about okay yes anytime <laughs> it's not homework it's fun work so oh, enjoy absolutely. it yeah well we thank you all right bye Kylie. bye and i have just one more event to mention before we close um if you're a beekeeper or if you're interested in beekeeping they're having their annual field day coming up on november the 2nd it starts at 10 and goes to 3.30. It'll be in Baton Rouge at the USDA Honeybee Breeding Genetics Laboratory. Um, it's $40 registration at the door, and this will include lunch. If you have any questions, you can contact Jennifer Brown at 601-493-3447. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.